I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, everyone. It's Mind Rolling. I am back. And we haven't talked in a long time. And I'm just catching up with Tani Sara. So great to see you again. And also, so great to have you back in America here. Yeah, thanks, Raghu. It's really, really good to be here. And uh, yeah, we're living in the North Bay area now. Yeah. Um, it's great. We love it. Wonderful. Yeah. And uh yeah, more uh, people can uh, hopefully catch up with you a little bit. Uh, Things now have that gotten back. busier. Yeah, I bet yeah. they have. I bet they have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, yeah. uh, one thing for sure, I have been uh, following you. Not following you, but uh, <laughs> I have you know, certainly noticed many of the postings that you do on social media and so on. And uh, the way that you are engaged socially uh, and culturally alongside of, well, engaged Buddhism, really, is, is what comes to mind. And, um, and you just put something out that I found, an article, a blog called A Brutal Year Ends as Extinction Rebellion Rises. <laughs> I did indeed. <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read a little bit so people get a flavor of this. This will be linked, by the way, on uh, Be Here Now Network uh, and Mind Rolling on the show notes page, so you'll be able to read the whole article. All of you out there listening, uh, but this year has been brutal, specifically because it heralded a drastic state shift, a tipping point and planetary crossing over thresholds that should not be passed. We have stumbled from the hope of sustainability to a deeply painful reality of rapid environmental dismemberment. We've seen the shredding of democratic principles and processes. We've been horrified by a rise in fascism, fascism, dragging its ghosts from the 1930s and 40s and have been appalled and enraged as billionaires flaunt and force their lethal agendas regardless of the cost. But most devastating is the eco-destruction we can no longer escape or delegate to future times. In a blink of an eye, we, we suddenly crossed from the assumption of human civilization's unbridled bright future to the dawning realization of our probable demise. Ouch! Okay, that, and it goes on from there. 
Okay, and I, as I said, there'll be a link so you can read this. So, one of the things that I have been doing a lot lately on podcast is talking about the way that we are so hooked into our stories, our day-to-day story of our reality, of the mini-me, me-me-me, and uh, all the way to it being very, very difficult to have any idea of cutting through the polarization. It's very, very difficult. Now, so I read uh, this blog of yours, and I resound with every word, Mm -hmm. every word, and those around me, of course, as well. And there's a way in which, uh, I mean, I'd like you to address this, that we become so embedded in our story, which is supported by this horror, right? Mm -hmm. But in another way, it really supports the polarization that we are going through, both internally and socially. And can you just uh, address that a little bit? You do in the article at some point, of course, talk about it through talking about heart. But uh, is there a way in which we are um, indulging ourselves at all with supporting everything that we believe we are right? Well, that's the question. That's one of one of the main main questions of our time, I believe. And um, I think it's um, quite quite layered and quite a process to thread out for our own internal um, experience and how we want to respond to that, rather than being able to leap to a simple conclusion or answer. Of course, because we're in this massive process. And we're all feeling that, and it's energizing and activating many different parts of our being. Um, and at the heart of that, you know, you you and I are in the consciousness business, really. We're in awakening consciousness. And at the heart of that, there is an awakening of consciousness happening, and it's happening through the enormous force of what the shadow brings to us, or what the, you know, the, the eternal play of light and a shadow um, that that unfolds, and within that crucible, there is a, a tremendous pressure and an evolutionary possibility in it. But there's also de- devolutionary process that can happen where we devolve into the separative consciousness, and we're seeing both happening on this on the world stage. We're seeing this this radical devolution where we're going into sort of tribal camps. And we're going to, as the structures dissolve, you know, this this natural, the fear of that, the great fear of loss of control. I mean, patriarchy, which is the oldest system and all the other systems that fit into that, has in some ways it has many shadow and difficult sides, but it's sort of offered this sense of we're in control. We control nature. We keep you safe. We give you food, you know, that's the deal, but don't rock the boat, don't be too free, don't, you know, challenge us because we'll do you in, basically, at some level or another. And so, you know, so on the one hand, there's this sort of enormous um, crumbling of that, that's those structures that have sort of kept us safe and that they're not keeping us safe anymore, they're destroying us. You know, they've become rabid and sort of cannibalistic. Um, of of humans and nature and so there has to be some sort of um, challenge in that but on the other hand to that but on the other hand it's activating enormous fear in human beings an enormous sort of sense of destabilization as the world that we've known is even if we don't believe in climate change our bodies know it and we feel it at some subliminal level uh, it's not even climate change, it's the sort of heating of the planet and, you know, everything that we know now that's going on as a result of that. So I think there's this enormous devolution into these sort of old forces, these old ways. Let's try and grab control. Let's do that through nationalism, through separating out. And clearly, we can't put energy in, even if that activates places in ourselves where we feel that. We can't activate 
those energies in ourselves. We can't align with those devolution energies, devolving energies. But on the other hand, we do need to hold some lines, you know, just as the Buddha, when he was under the Bodhi tree and also had the force of Mara, which was part of his awakening process. The Mara was, was the agency that helped to stimulate awakening in the Buddha in part, you know, it was a huge, and even followed the Buddha around after he was uh, awakened, you know, so, but the Buddha just was like, I know you. I know you and I see you. He didn't go, oh, we're all one and it's fine for you to be there. He challenged back. He said, I know you, I see you, you've done this before, but I'm not deluded by you and I'll call you out. So I think there is a, a way of having to call out those forces that are divisive, hateful, undermining, destructive, you know, destabilizing, um, um, working for profit for their own, for their own um power and control so one has to call them out how we do that and where we do that from what kind of consciousness we bring to it is a place i struggle with i have to confess you know i mean we have to do it we have to say no you know a healthy boundary no you will not destroy the earth <laughs> no you will not take down um you know the amazon forest uh, you know how we do that where we do that from is the issue it's not to say that we can't call out and it does, and I think as 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 you and I have been in this world of uh, raising awareness, and that we have the example of named Kuroli Baba Maharaji that we just talked about before we went live, um, who kind of says things like, "Can't you see it's all perfect?" or "Love everyone, feed everyone." It's a reminder that there's a way that we can hold consciousness. It's not even a reminder, it's the reality, it's some deep reality. This every being is resident in our awareness. You know, there's nothing outside of conscious awareness. So all of those that represent the shadow forces are, are part of our practice, part of our the process that we're in. And so at some level, and I can get to that place sometimes, not often, but I can feel compassion for all of it and all that are. Um, actually holding the shadow and pushing it back to us in such a dramatic and intensified way. So somewhere in between that, all of those dimensions that are operating, it is almost a daily practice, a mindfulness practice, mindfulness practice. How do we land in this process? How do we find our truth? How do we respond? How do we meet challenge? How do we articulate and how do we do that by keeping our heart, which I think is really, really essential, free from the energy that further divides and hates and, and generates that separative consciousness. But, you know, on the other hand, how do we say, yeah, no, you cannot destroy everything mm. because you're, you're not very conscious. Uh, let me just say one thing about, uh, could you mention Neem Karoli Baba saying, where Ramdas says this uh, from time to time, he quotes him saying, it's all perfect, don't you know, when Ramdas wanted to go off and, you know, take his Volkswagen bus and help people in, in a war-torn area in uh, Bangladesh. Uh, I, and and I, I get with Ramdas, and and we always go through this thing, and I say, and he will say it as well. When you are coming from the undivided, as he is coming from the undivided, then one can say such a thing with the most gigantic profundity of what that really means. And we are little me's here. We can't say that. And Ramdas can't say that. And he'll say... I didn't say that. He said that. Yes. <laughs> you know, so I just want to make clear for everybody, that is not just a, a, a statement that we can just, uh, it's all perfect. And, and we are living in a world where it is not perfect, as you described in your blog, very, very <laughs> in I detail. I agree. Thank you for making clarifying that, because I think that spiritual bypass happens yep. a lot. And it gives us a a comfortable out, which we shouldn't have. We should feel uncomfortable. Yeah. We should be on the hot fire now because, because that's demanded of us to, to be awake. Um, but, you know, to some level, that's a very profound contemplation. And for me, to go to the level of deep equanimity to look, well, you know, as our teacher, Ajahn Chah, the forest 
Thai forest master would say, mm. if it shouldn't be like this, it wouldn't be like this. You know, because there's so much of the mind going, it should not be, this person should not have this power. This just And it's heartbreaking every day to see the mm. level of wanton, you know, um, venal destruction. You know, I'll just sign off and pollute this and sign off and destroy this wildlife and take these children from their parents at the border. And every day it's an assault on humanity and, and the heart. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like Mara gone wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's the sort of the, the demons are out to play. Yeah. Um, but I do feel the perfection for me in it is not that it's perfect uh, or, or that we're just accepting it how it is, but the perfection is that it's a force that's basically now it's come down to and say, it's completely your, the veils have been lifted from your eyes. You know, you are seeing now what's going on. What are you going to do? How are you going to be? What consciousness are we going to bring to this? Um, how are we going to respond? And that's the challenge, I think. And, and that certainly if we hadn't have had this level of, um, of, 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 um, of challenge, then we probably wouldn't have had the level of awakening that we've seen. Right. And I think that that is uh, essential, essential truth. And uh, the the shadows that are being thrown out, um, they are something for us to work with, in my mind, individually. Right? I think there's, uh, I think you'll agree, there's two two levels of, of uh, two planes of consciousness that w we can work on at the same time. And one is dealing with those shadows inside ourselves, and the other is dealing with the external. And like, yeah, we have to say no, and we have to support each other in being able to uh, gather. And, and in, in the article, you, you talk about how all of these you know, incredible things are happening. You know, the, the election of all these uh, female candidates, women candidates in Congress, the, what's going on in France, uh, the Me Too movement, all of these things are, are coming out of this darkness and they are absolutely making uh, a dent in, in what we're dealing with. Um, so I noticed something else, uh, Tani Sara, that uh, I think uh, it was, uh, it happened last year and it was uh, uh, a conference, I believe, that you guys put together. It was a dialogue on spirituality, Afro-Dharma, Science and Humanity at uh, Botswana University, right? And Mind and Life di Dialogues. And this is something that His Holiness the Dalai Lama has initiated in many different places. I know he didn't come, but that he, um, uh, I think he Skyped in with you or something, a video, yeah, video chat. Um, just tell me a little bit about what was your, uh, what was the motivation behind putting this together, and and what were you hoping for in terms of uh, that dialogue? And we uh, didn't put that together. We actually took a um, a whole gang of um, our, our guys from South Africa um, who run our small hermitage there, Damagiri, and um, and friends, supporters, and we we went together to attend it. It's a, a conference on Ubuntu, um, and partly there was a real hope to see the Dalai Lama. For many of those in South Africa who had not had the opportunity, um, the truth was that in the end, he he very graciously sort of cited, um, you know, aging and health to do the travel. But the fact was that the Chinese had put a blockade on his ability to get into. Um, um, Botswana, as they have done now for many times in South Africa, and that's the politics where the politics are, and where what's happening with China and Africa at the moment. So there was that political piece, but we, but he gave a beautiful address um, at the beginning, which we saw, and then there was a lineup of presenters um, um, from um, very different perspectives, from the mindful and neurological perspective from the deep psycho um, spiritual spec perspective from the indigenous, like one of the main speakers that we felt very responsive with was Mandaza Kindwama, who is a um, Sangoma or a traditional healer who really, he, he wasn't an academic, but really 
talk to Zimbabwean, talk to the depth of our lost relationship with with nature and the need to reclaim that. And since then, we've been in, working with him more and he's been teaching at our place more. And I was trying to bring him to America, but it, the government refused a visa for him. Mm. But the main the main focus of the conference is this very deep African wisdom, Ubuntu, which means we are, we are who we are through other people. It means that everything, every being is our relative. It means that we can't be as we are now without the support of everything that's gone before. It's the, 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 the sort of um, philosophy of interdependence. Um, and so this runs through African culture. And so it was a real um, exploration of what that means politically, socially, spiritually, um, and, on every, and personally on every level of our being. Mm. That uh, concept, which um, I am a little bit familiar with, and but um, you also have so Ubuntu is in, and I cannot pronounce the, <laughs> the names of something Nguni language, right? Yeah, correct. Uh, and then I saw also Boto is a Soto Tswanam word. Uh, yes. and, and, um, hum it means this, I mean, this is so great. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Humanity, humanness, kindness, compassion, sharing, humility, mutual respect and responsibility, interconnectedness, harmony, a universal bond that connects all humanity. So they manage in one word to say it all. I mean exactly exactly it's a very it's a very profound when you say ubuntu what uh, you 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 sort of um also you have that sense of uh, all of that all of that yeah mm. deep interconnection and that's a very lived part of africa in the african worldview. it's yeah. very old it goes right back you know to the mists of time to Khoisan, right first nation peoples yeah. So yeah, and you read the in the article the philosophy about the Ubuntu Ubuntu rather comes from indigenous African religious beliefs and practices where all of life, nature, spirit, and creator are interrelated, interconnected, and interdependent. Right? It applies intergenerationality and also interspecies. The self emerges from the relationship with others. Um, of course, what we did in this country, I mean, all of that is uh, lives within the uh, Native American culture in this country, which we um, mostly wiped out or attempted to wipe out and uh, have left in shambles. I mean, it's one of the most outrageous uh, markers in, in the history of this country. And, uh, and unfortunately... Uh, there is very little of that that has seeped through into uh, mainstream uh, culture, where it could have been such a vibrant way for us to connect back with, with who we really are. And uh, it's very unfortunate. And, and now, uh, I think bringing these concepts into this country uh, is is extraordinarily important, and I'm sorry that this particular gentleman that you tried to bring in couldn't get in because that's just the kind of thing uh, that we need. Um, so well, not, not for now, but maybe at another time. Yeah, and he came to Canada, so he he was able to get in there. See, my country. <laughs> Canada. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, no, goodness, I, just up the road. <laughs> I'm Canadian. And I, yes, I'm, I still, even though I'm a dual, I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. These, these, um, I think we have to revive the ancient indigenous wisdom, basically. And it is true that they were decimated, the indigenous First Nations people were decimated by white settlers everywhere yeah. in Australia, Africa. Southern Africa, um, America, New Zealand, um, so on. Um, and surprisingly, I mean, what in some ways, oh, where was I when um, basically we're, we're, we're all now in that same 
boat that the, the indigenous peoples have been in for hundreds of years since the arrival of Columbus, in that what we're experiencing is what they've experienced for, for hundreds of years. You know, this horror, imagine the horrors you see your whole lifestyle just being heartlessly, wantonly, um, grievously um, decimated. You know, the, the, the enormous pain to realize that you, you are being wiped out, your, your, your animals are being wiped out, that, you're, that there's no respect. Uh, you know, and that's some of what we're seeing now happening as, as if we arrive in the cannibalistic stage of capitalism is we're feeling what they felt, you know, and the threat to our existence is what they, they experienced. But on the other hand, there is an enormous rising of indigenous peoples actually um, through throughout the whole world that have turned up um, to um, various climates. Like they, when I was at Standing Rock, it was the first time that all the tribes had come together for that. And indigenous peoples from South America, from the Maui, from New Zealand, um, from Africa. So there was this enormous gathering of indigenous knowledge and ceremony. And they really understood that everything, you know, this interspecies, be this interrelationship with species and rocks and trees and mountains, it's all alive, it's all conscious. So their worldview that we have no rights, you know, to do what we've done. We have, we've desacralized us, everything and ourselves in the process and left ourselves soulless and wanting and devastated and addicted and lost, you know. So so they've managed to, even in the spite of the enormous um, decimation that they experienced, they've managed to hold this kernel of truth and wisdom and are reappearing like we've seen, um, you know, some of the indigenous uh, women voted into Congress just now mm. and, and rising and their voices are rising, their wisdom is rising, their challenges are rising. And, and when I was at Standing Rock, it was very clear to me it was the first decolonized space, I think, that I've experienced that that we should be following their guidance now. Yeah. You know, yeah. their way of being, their way of sacralizing everything, their understanding of the deep spirituality in all matter. It's not there's no divorce there. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So um and and you know, within that there is the acknowledgement and the waking up as part of this waking up that's happening. It's also waking up to the layers of the history that we've, how we got here. You know, we're having to see, and I think it's very good and very, very heart sore, but very necessary to deeply take in, as you say, what has gone before. Um, you know, what has not to generate guilt and shame, which are actually, you know, Buddhist understanding, ultimately not very helpful states of mind. They are, if you help, you know, the sense of remorse is a, is a healthy state that you need to feel to change your behavior to wake up. But if it turns, if it turns from that was an unskillful act to I am a bad person yeah. and I am a guilty person, then that becomes an unwholesome state. So it's not to generate, you know, a lot of, um, of that, I have experienced a lot of that being in South Africa as a white person. You know that daily sense of shame and guilt, and and all the compensations you do around that. But at the end of the day, it's a it's a different kind of reckoning that we need to make internally and collectively around the history. Mm. And I think that reckoning is a deep, deep acknowledgement. You know, it's the acknowledgement of harm done. Um, which has in its own way uh, begins to um, have a sort of um, a redemptive aspect to it. Yeah, very much. I, I must uh, mention somebody from South Africa that we have had over here and we've had over at our, uh, he's come over to attend the retreats and so on. His name is John Lockley. Oh he, yes, he, you know John. He's a, a, a an unusual man in that he's part of the Sangoma yes. uh, tradition, and of course he's a white South African originally. You know he's got Irish roots and so on. Yes, and, and we have done. I've done some work with him through podcasts, and we, as I say, we've had him. And um, yeah, uh, just thinking 
uh, next, since you're here now and the next time he comes, we got to get you guys together because he very much embodies exactly everything that we're talking about now. So, yes. yeah. Um, yeah, he's, his work is very cool. Yeah. Uh, totally. Uh, I like this uh, quote from uh, Desmond Tutu. A person is a person through other persons. None of us comes into the world fully formed. We would not know how to think or walk or speak or behave as human beings unless we learned it from other human beings. We need other human beings in order to be human. That says a lot, actually. To well, 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 he's he's basically encapsulated what Ubuntu means. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, it's it's um, it's that's that's where we need to go to. You know, this separative consciousness that's dividing everyone up into camps, that's putting borders in the way that's uh, happening. It's not to say that there shouldn't be appropriate borders, both internally and externally, but this denigration of peoples. This objectification of peoples, and and once you start to do that, then we know where that leads historically. You, there's nothing that you can't do to people that you've dehumanized, you know. So this 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 is what um, we have to really fight against: is this tendency to dehumanize the other. Um, so you know, this remedy or this deep medicine of seeing ourselves as part of each other and seeing these deep historical ties that we've had through um through so many profound human experiences you know the struggle for freedom and the you know the, the war the, the the battlefield that have who knows in other lives that we've also been party to you know uh, or our ancestors for sure yeah um so to feel into all of that for me is part of the awakening landscape you know just all of that's there it's all here now you know it's nothing's <laughs> absent <laughs> Uh, I, and another, uh, going back to the uh, our question around the absolute addiction to our story, and uh, at the uh, something came from the conference that uh, a quote I am because we are and questions that came up into relation to this phrase, who is the I, and who is the we, and. I think that's a major, major starting point. I'd like you to talk a little bit about in terms of your own practice and what you have gotten from incredible teachers like Ajahn Chah. Uh, our self-inquiry into that place of recognizing the uh, habitual patterns, um, the... Uh, what we came in with in this lifetime to work out and work through, all of those identification, Ram Dass calls it, you know, you are not your roles, you are not that identification. Well, who are you and how do we, how do we switch and turn our perspective in a way that even allows us to think of uh, who is the we? Yeah, well, that is the question. Um, who are we, basically? <laughs> um, um, and there's so many different lenses we can look through that um, in responding a way the Buddhists understand, the way Nikoli Baba Ram Das um, talked about. I think for me, it's a, a question of understanding that um, there are different levels of our being, different frequencies almost. Um, different um, ways that we manifest and show up in this world. In each each piece, we 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 have to attend to each piece um, needs to be respected and integrated. And you know, so there's the personal self. And um, I think when I first started spiritual practice, because my first opening was through psychedelics, which was <laughs> and psilocybin, which I wasn't, you know, I was just some young girl, not, you know, just reading Lord of the Rings and cooling out, chilling out. And someone just said, oh, try this. And I was like, oh. next thing I'm transported into <laughs> the sort of the great cosmos and the deep sort of meaning of it all. And, you know, and here I am sort of hanging out with God, which is, you know, absolutely am God at some level and this incredible sense of love and all the questions I had were like becoming clarified, like, you know, um, 
I saw myself as a drop in the ocean, you know, this lifetime, this self was just, you know, just that in terms of the consciousness that I wouldn't say I really am as a me self, you know, that we really are, you know, it was just, and you know, that's, and that um, the, the, cho- the karma, the, when we talk about different lives, what I understood from that consciousness, which we can touch into, usually through plant journeying or through these kind of altered states or deep meditations or shifts that happen, um, you know, it was very, very clear to me that the karma wasn't like, oh, you're bad or you've got these things. Yes, there is that aspect of we have debts to pay. I, I do feel that about karma. We have a curriculum to run through. We have people to meet. We have gifts to offer. But it was more like it was at a very, very profound level. It was because we can't really accept and deeply abide by what our true nature really is, this this glorious, profound, liberated, unmoving, unceasing, unborn, undying consciousness. Because we can't really tolerate that truth um, and that reality, we sort of choose to separate out. It's like we fall into ignorance. It's the easier. So this, this and then the Buddha talks about avidya pachya sankara, this fundamental not knowing the mind, not knowing its true nature, not knowing the you know this depth of profound stillness at one on the one hand, and within that the profound. Um, intimacy of all phenomena of all things that arise within that ground of awareness you know that it's that's that on some level we're all of that both the movement and the stillness the phenomena and the unborn but that's we don't often see ourselves through that lens so that pachya sankara it's like that that shutting down that what the buddha calls ignorance or which means not seeing it's like the shutting down the closing down we separate out and we become identified with a sankara, with a patterning, with the with the particular, with the peace, with the self, and that shapes the sense of self, the sankaric material that we have both inherited personally, socially, familiarly, culturally, ancestrally, genetically, karmically. That is the stuff of our work. You know, those those are the shapes of the self. Those are relational fields. That's and that's usually the mode we're in. We're usually locked in to the dynamic of the patterning and the self and the sankaric, which is about a lot about constriction. I've been very interested in at this point of our evolutionary process, we need to have the fullness of our energy to engage, our full consciousness, that primal um, essence of consciousness that's free. But historically and personally, we're so not free. We're so bound by these old ancient fears and guilts and shame and oppressions, all of us internally, externally. So, you know, I'm interested in what is it to free ourselves from those? We have to free ourselves from those so we can have, and at speed, you know, we don't have a lot of time to sit now 30 years on a Zafu to do that. We have to do what, you know, we have to move through these collectively and we need each other's help. So to see each other and see ourselves and free each other, you know, free, forgive everything. You know, that's what for me is like, forgive it. You know, I get really pissed off about stuff and in human relations, it's like every day, are you going to hold on to this or are you just going to forgive it and let go and move? So these are the kind of negotiations that happen for me between the self and its hangups and its it's sort of resentments and it's places it gets stuck and it's needs and it's fears and this consciousness that's that's saying you know let it go open up use these practices keep you know and every day for me it's a struggle to do that it's not like i'm just sort of like it's one moment and i'm sort of flying in that super mundane space where i can you know as it says in the heart sutra course the depths of reality and see all beings as part of my intimate, you know, one kind of presence, you know, as Kuan Yin and Avalokiteshvara, you know, the great compassion of knowing all beings as part of themselves. That's, you know, consciousness very rare for me to stumble into. But, you know, mostly I'm negotiating with the part that's sort of constricted, closed in the patterns. 
And so that's where our daily practice and the, the contemplative practice, the mindfulness practice, the investigation, the insight, the devotions, you know, as Ananda Maya said, either dissolve the separation with devotion or burn it away through um, insight or wisdom, something like that, mm. you know. So both of, but, you know, do both as you do both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, yeah. Uh, no, it's just occurring to me. One of the other things, these patterns uh, that uh, are so embedded in us. Yes, you can hear a few dogs here. The old dogs are barking. Nice. Off. That's part of my yeah. podcast, the Mind Rolling Podcast. <laughs> Sweet. I, I love it. I love dogs. Uh, something, sometimes I'm astonished by how comfortable. I can be with the these patterns how comfortable how lazy like I you know understand myself fairly well I've done work over these many years and have that rudder of Neem Karoli Baba uh, and it's astonishing how embedded these patterns are that there's a comfort zone in them and there's a way I can see myself at times indulging in them. And uh, like reading what you wrote, that blog, and resounding with that dismemberment and boy, you know, just the heat of it. And I see myself going into the heat of it and seeing also the comfort of that. There's a kind of yeah. comfort. And, and, and to me, that comfort is associated with laziness of uh of not s switching that uh yeah. moment of not wanting to switch that moment because of the comfort zone do you is that something that makes sense yeah no totally clear and i exactly have the same we all do i think you know mm. i think i think we're up against deep patterns i mean these sankaras you know they're deep some of them that you know the fundamental one to ignorance is the most profound you know it's not going to you know, and it operates at different levels. It's basically that place that shuts down and goes into denial or stays comfortable. And, you know, it's a very survival thing. It's a very ancient thing. It's what keeps the world turning, you know. And Buddha says there's no beginning to that. So, um, and we experience it every day, you know, in manifesting. So, you know, to have the clarity to keep seeing that and to keep working with that and to keep, you know, both challenging ourselves, but also being kind to the self, because the self, you know, is limited. It's not going to be able to do it all. It's not as, you know, and I think this is the place of devotion for me. Mm. It's the place where, um, you know, I remember on one journey I took, you know, when I was very young before I, um, you know, um, sort of got much into um, deeper meditative practice that um, th that I had on psilocybin as well as this, you know, which I, I believe are these old, these plants um, are the original indigenous medium for us to access these, these expanded states so we can see the vision and understand the whole dynamic and get clarity. And I'm glad that there's some movement towards beginning to allow society to have access because of the neurosis and control of consciousness has been a very politicized thing. Yeah. So, you know, to let people have their own consciousness. But, you know, I remember sort of making this whole list of like, oh, if I can use, and it was probably not the greatest way, if I can use this journey to really understand all my problems from that uh, subtle level of consciousness, that expanded level of consciousness, I'll have all the answers. So I wrote all these questions. I was completely confused and lost at that time. I mean, really, I was very young and just like, you know, and I did, I mean, I had an incredible journey. I mean, I actually saw a name Corey Baba on that journey. I mean, he was actually there. He was actually appeared. And he was like, and he was basically saying, he wasn't really speaking, but what I saw was he was a vehicle. He was saying, it's not about me. He was like a, a, an empty shell. It was like this force of Ram, of, of this energy, this incredible love. It's incredible non-dual consciousness. You know, I haven't got words for it. It was like all I could do is like offer myself in devotion. So, you know, I forgot all about these questions, but when I sort of started to kind of find my body even, find myself, myself, 
and I read those questions, you know, of the self, like, you know, what can I do? What should I do? How can I just wept because I saw how lost the self is, how, how it's sort of mostly a little clueless, you know, <laughs> it's really sort of caught in these patterns. And all I could do is really, it didn't matter. It was like, it doesn't matter what you do. Just do it with love. It, you know, the important thing is that you just keep trying to come from love. And so you and do it from a place of service. Don't try and get stuff, you know, just to accumulate for yourself. So that's obviously a life lesson. But for me, when I hit that place, when I feel the encroaching of that ignorance and that shutdown, I, I think there's a great power in calling, calling on Kuan Yin, calling on Hanuman, calling on whatever speaks to you, you know, the greater power of reality, the deep intelligence that is, a, you know, is playing the game. You know, we're not the only game players here. We're not the only ones holding the cards. We think we are, but there's a whole other level of intelligence and depth and power here, you know, that we think we, you know, our ego thinks it's in control it's not you know and one of those powers is mother nature and she's playing her cards you know uh, you know she's got the final vote we forget that <laughs> so you know to call on that it's a, and it's a living universe it's not it's not dead you know this is the ubuntu you know mandaza and this is the african uh indigenous message you know it's a responsive living universe you know you cry out you know, like, I can't do this on my own. I can't wake up on my own. I can't overcome myself. I can do all the mindfulness practice. I can sit on it. But this sort of, and there's a response. You know, in one of the Kuan Yin ceremonies, Avalokiteshvara, the deep bodhisattva of compassion, it says the response and the way are intertwined inconceivably. The way, you know, you practice the way and we're practicing with all of this, there's a response. And we shouldn't underestimate that. That's where I think we have to hold our faith. You know, as Nisargadatta said, reality comes in the form of the unexpected. You know, it was like Greta Thunberg, this 15-year-old girl that came in onto the COP24 platform in the UN and came out with this message I saw now. She's got millions of views. And it was like out of left field. You know, from the unexpected, she was the she she was the voice for the planet. Mm. You know, this she has aspergers. She's and she's just walks in this in English. You know, she's not even speaking her home language, Swedish. This brilliant girl comes with this completely clear message. Or, or for my home countries, I mentioned the blog, the arising of extinction rebellion. Yeah which has just taken the world by storm. And it's very decentralized and very like, it's about consciousness. It's about feel the urgency and move, you know, move nonviolently, move with love, but move, you know, respond, be, you know, and, and you'll be guided, you know, somehow something will come and, and you just have to follow that sense of the guidance and allow it to carry you. And that's a great act of faith and trust. And I'm not always up for it, um, but, you know, I hope to try and be as up for it as I can mm. yeah, we <laughs> with all, all the, you know, crazy stuff that my mind dishes up every day. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. I think you, uh, there's an essential uh, comment here uh, that you've, that you've given and it's one, it's, it's my guiding light, mindfulness, awareness, of the way in which we relate as a quote-unquote self, got to work on that. Got to forgive yourself. You got to have the love that goes out to everyone around us has to also go to yourself. And at the same time, so you do this work the best that you can, and I love what you said. You ask for a response to whoever it may be or whatever it may be, from Buddha to Neem Karoli Baba to Christ, Hanuman, whatever it may be, you ask for a response, and a response will come. Because yeah. essentially we have that deep faith and trust inside of us. However, maybe it's, you know, it's deep, 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 deep down there, but it is yeah. there, and it's that combination. Um, I mean, uh, one of the uh, Krishnadas said, uh, one of these retreats uh, we were talking about 
grace. And, and he gave, you know, that famous image when it's out raining and rain is grace. And unless you cup your hands together, you are not collecting you are just getting wet, and the and the yes. cupping the hands together is practice. For him, yes. it's chanting. For others, it's meditation. For others, it's prayer. Whatever it may be, and yes. I see that combination uh, is essentially um, the most powerful uh, movement that we can make in regards to this fantastic uh, addiction we have <laughs> with our story. Yes. Yes, addiction is the right word. The complete, so compelling, and the and the little self is at the centre of it all. This big drama, yeah. <laughs> long suffering, long heroic, long struggling. You know, you've got to hand it to the self. It's it's quite it's quite a poignant and powerful, yeah. um, you know, hero. You know, yeah. trying to struggle with it all, yeah. a conduit for so much. Poor little guy. Poor little, Poor little mini guy. me. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Doing its best it can. Yeah. Is this man Mandaza Gandemwa? Is that the? I think you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Well, I love what he said. He pointed us back to our own mind because we have so much going on of blame. That's another part. It's easy to get there. Uh, And he says he points back to our own minds to find the source of war, conflict, corruption, rather than accusing political and business leaders out there. In order to heal, our minds need to become like the ocean that refuses no river. Yeah, it's beautiful, uh, isn't, isn't it? Ah, that That's is beautiful. such yes, a great that thing. deep African uh, wisdom. And this is a man who's lived through, you know, he's in his 70s, so he's lived through Part colonial uh, Zimbabwe, mm. and he's lived through the Mugabe years, which were also brutal, and the destruction of Zimbabwe. Um, and he's come out intact, you know, so it's not like he's just saying these things from an ivory tower. He's saying it from being, um, you know, from a, a place of a country that's had this enormous struggle for, cent- for, for a long, long time. So, um, and he, you know, this great spirit of Ubuntu, this, you know, relationship. I think that's the thing that we, we need to reclaim, re- reclaim the sacred and the sense of relationship with the sacred within all things and all beings, you know, the bus driver, the, the, the person stuck behind the counter at some mall or other, you know, that with the land, with, with everything, with the breath, with the birds, with, you know, that we, we do feel that this is not a dead matter, but a living universe that we're in relationship with, you know, and I think once we start to feel into that, then, 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 life is mysterious you know it's it's a really we start to move into a whole different kind of journey um and way of being yeah yeah somehow i love this ubuntu uh, and the definition of and and all and boto and ubuntu so we're yeah. gonna yeah we're gonna make sure that we have these uh, wonderful uh, descriptions and definitions up uh, in the show notes here and maybe uh, and I'd love to even connect somehow with uh, this this particular person Mandaza um, uh, and then the coup d'etat of this conference is somebody I love so much Tupten Jinpa yeah uh, Tupten Jinpa is so wonderful yes yeah. he's uh, his so holiness clear. Yeah, the, so steady, so real. Yeah, yes. and he's the uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama's main translator, certainly here in the yes, West. Yes. And I have yeah. seen him so many times, and we've done podcasts together. Uh, and listen to what he said. Uh, and this is also so very um, penetrating to the naive eye of someone who grew up in a poor part of the world, meaning him. I mean, he was. He came through uh, over the mountain and uh, over the Himalayas into India, and then, I mean, he was w- he was sent to a he was in one of those road building camps actually, for um, a while. Um, wow. And then he yeah. yeah, and then he went eventually he was in South India, and that's where His Holiness met him, and he got picked him out of there. Uh, to the na- naive eye of someone who grew up in a poor part of the world, at first glance, people in the West 
seem more confident, more efficient, and better able to take care of themselves and enjoy life. But he goes on to point out that all is not as it seems. Wild yes, understatement. Yeah. Yeah. People neglect, quote-unquote, their basic needs for sleep, nutrition, and exercise and drive themselves harder and harder at work because they don't know how to find validation as human beings. Uh, Talk about that whole thing of, of his holding, uh, of his holding, of Ram Dass and, hmm. and the addiction to our roles. And without them, yeah. we have no validation as human beings. People lash out or shut down when they are criticized because they are all too ready to believe anything bad about themselves. How ready we are to believe that stuff all the time. But at the same time, they can't stand to hear anything bad about themselves because they lack a sense of self-worth to balance it. People feel anxious and depressed and desperate and they don't know what to do and they blame and berate themselves for this too. Boy, does that encapsulate us here, though, yeah. you know, coming from somebody yeah. in, from a completely yeah. different culture? Yeah. yeah. It, it does. It, it does. It, it's, it's really, he goes to our wound, you know, our profound wound that the self has been, you know, ripped out from that sense of belonging <laughs> a, a long, long time ago. I mean, we've been colonized as well, actually. You know, everything's been colonized, you know, the body, the mind, and sold off. So to, to, to reclaim and not to, I mean, there is a lot of, um, I mean, I think also as Westerners, we can also feel very um, down on ourselves because of our very, um, destructive history of colonial history yeah. but there's also tremendous gifts and spirit and generosity like i know in america now um so many americans feel bad about the country and themselves because of what's been going on for so long um but i also try and remind my american friends of the enormous spirit and generosity that i experience here the spirit of exploration and inquiry and and you know this this the, the work that we're doing now so much of the consciousness work has come out of america and rolling around the globe so there's there's also a, a positive side but it, it really this piece that Junpa is, is talking to is really needs to be attended to you know therapeutically and um and you know and meditatively to profoundly re configure our relationship to the self to yeah. heal what we can and to get it in perspective so that it doesn't completely flood and overwhelm um, our ability to reconnect with our spiritual core yeah which is what we've lost our soul we lost our soul you yeah. know we're a soulless culture basically so this this reclamation of soul and the sacred without necessarily piling on the agony of, of how desperate we are we, we sort of know that but you know but but, you know, I do think there's hope. I want to say there's hope for us. Yeah, <laughs> this, this great, I mean, one thing that Americans are, are so good at so much, I think uh, the organizing, the, the, the bringing together of this spirit, of this tremendous spirit for freedom, if channeled in the, the positive way, I think is really necessary and important for our times. Yeah. We need that American spirit to, to really rise. And to to be the best it can as as you know that light on the hill, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but you know, evolved and matured, not ideologically and not ideological and and warlike. Yeah. You know. So. And I think uh, you know, coming to uh, a close here in terms of our time together. Uh, the one other thing that uh, Jinpa. Uh, there was a suggestion, and here's the core of of it all for me. The question is, can we find common ground where we can agree about common values, you know, with this gigantic polarization in this country right now? And he suggested the question, and I think this is such a great thing for us to offer to those that we absolutely have no feel we have no common ground. What do we want for our children? Yeah, right? yeah. As a way of revealing the, the universal values. How do we expand our tolerance and appreciation of differences among, a, among us so that our differences don't trigger threat responses? We, can we redefine self-interest 
to include interdependence and communal values. And that's the starting point, because for everyone, what do we want for our children? So I, I really oh. love that. I think that's a great way to, mm. you know, to, to end this particular discussion. Thank you so much, mm. Thank you. so yeah. great. We're going to have, um, I think, uh, I'm not sure where you're at with your your latest books, but I believe we did do a podcast around uh, your latest books, which was maybe a year and a half ago or so. I'm not sure. Yes, I, you know, so been so busy relocating from South, South Africa, Africa. Yeah. and then also Tennessee, where Kilisara's family, mm. you know, went after his father died and closing down the house and relocating. But yes, I, I, the the latest one was Time to Stand Up, which was a, a rallying cry, really, and a, and a challenge to the patriarchy of Buddhism, but for Dharma practitioners to sort of, you know, get a, get more engaged yeah. with what's going on. Yeah. And, and we'll have everybody, we'll have links to that and links to uh, be able to connect with Danisara and Kitasaro. And uh, you'll just go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash MindRolling and you'll see the show notes and you'll see the, the link to our YouTube video that we've just created here. And uh, again, thank you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I feel greatly honored and, and I appreciate it. Well, you really represent, uh, I mean, we have these other friends that are your friends too, like Jack Cornfield, mm-hmm. and uh, the... Uh, the combo of mm. heart, devotion, and Buddhist concepts and mindfulness is uh, unparalleled as far as I'm concerned. Mm. So I um, really love it. So thank you again. And, thank you uh, so much. Thank you. Go well. Stay well. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.